0: You'd be welcome to join us. We'll be sure to save a seat for you. Now, here's this week's sermon. This morning's scripture reading comes from the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 10 through 20. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Now at the end of the days, when the king had said that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. Then the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians, the astrologers, and who were all in his realm. You may be seated. God is good all the time so wanted to let you know that beginning tonight on sunday nights i'm going to be doing a study that i hope you might find of of some interest um i've told you before that about the first decade of my life i spent i I went to the baptist church and my wife grew up going to the catholic church so when we were dating and married and all that we we had some great discussions about church about being christians and worship and it really led me to do a study and the study essentially was you know i want to make sure that what we practice is what the new testament teaches and i think part of that is in order to understand it you ought to be able to see in church history if you will a continuation of those practices at which i was able to do because a mentor pointed me to a great book but so anyway so you you read the new testament then you read early christian literature and then I wanted to find when did things begin to change. Because, you know, that was of interest to me. Because if you were to Google search and just say churches near me, you'd get a whole bunch of uh, responses for that. And you're going to notice that many of them have different names. But in the New Testament, there was just the church. And so that uh, New Testament church is, is really what I was trying to find and make sure I understood. So if that would appear, so for example, tonight, uh, this evening's lesson will be about elders and deacons, how the structure of the early church was and when that began to change. We'll, we'll do another one about uh, the Lord's Supper. When did they take it? How often did they take it? And when did things begin to change? Uh, same thing with baptism. When did it go from immersion to sprinkling, christening, or whatever the case is, uh, and, and the various changes that occurred. So if you would have an interest in that, come on Sunday nights. Now, next Sunday night is singing night. Come for that too, because we have a good, uh, every second Sunday evening is uh, dedicated to praising God. And so come for that by all means. But just so you know, if you want to come on Sunday, or if you don't want to come on Sunday nights, well, maybe now you have a reason or an excuse. Okay, there you go. Um, I was encouraged to share that with you by the, by the elders, and I thought, that's pretty pretty good idea. Pretty wise. This week, our students will make their way back to school. And some are excited, some aren't. Parents probably are excited too. The grocery bill may go down a little bit because you don't have little ones or big little ones eating you out of house and home. And uh, when you think about returning to, the, to school, you think primarily about students, but there's also staff. And one of the things I'm convinced of, you know, th- there's a national narrative about how bad secular education is. And that may be the case for many parts of the world. But I'm convinced that the Christians that teach in our local school systems here are a part of the reason that they are as good as they are. And while you could say what you want to, uh, you know, I think at least here in our community, we have a great many Christian educators, administrators, and helpers. And I'm convinced that our school systems are all the better for it. You may amen or not, I don't, but I'm right. And if you don't, I'm still right. Well, let's pray about this school year for them and for our university students. Gracious Father, as we look forward to a new academic year in our local school systems, including the university, we pray for our students. We pray, Father, for them to be safe. We pray, Father, for them to grow in understanding and learning. And for the Christian teachers that many will have, uh, Father, many of us are aware that for some of those children, the only meal of the day they will get will be at school. That maybe the only kindness that they'll receive will be from a teacher. Maybe the only affirmation that they receive will be from a teacher as well. So I pray that you'll bless all our teachers and our our administrators and those who work in the school systems to remember just that and to look at their job not as just a a job but to look at it as a calling to see that you have placed them where they are and that they can glorify you in their vocation and what they do. We thank you, Father, that our state legislature and our governor has made it so that a resource officer is in every school. We pray for the safety of our children, Father, in a time when nothing seems to be sacred, especially to evildoers. We pray that all will be kept safe. We pray, Father, for those that will be incoming for the university, that, Father, that you'll bless them in their studies and with the freedom that they have now being uh, an adult, a young adult at, at university, that they will exercise that liberty to glorify you, to remain faithful in worshiping you and in being connected to the church. We pray, Father, that whatever influences may come, that we would not allow ourselves to be influenced, but that we as your children, as your followers would do our best to influence and affect the environment that we find ourselves in. And I pray this, Father, with your grace and mercy, asking for your blessings upon the students, the staff, and this academic year. And I pray asking these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. You may or may not realize that if your Bible's open to Daniel chapter 1, I want to point out a few things to you this morning, because I think this is a perfect passage uh, to really, I hope, encourage uh, our students, wherever they are, uh, to go and shine their light. Daniel, in Daniel chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, one of the things you notice, uh, the king instructed, by the way... Don't you find it pretty neat that it was a Daniel that read Daniel this morning? I don't know if y'all caught that, but anyway, uh, Daniel 1, verse 3, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of the eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, processing knowledge, uh, excuse me, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand who had the ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. Now, reading various commentaries, Daniel and his companions were about 13 to 14 years old. And they're going to get a a three-year bachelor's degree in the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So around the time of, uh, at the end of chapter 1, you're looking at young men who are 17 to 18 years old. So the first thing I would want to point out is that it's regardless of age that a person can serve God and glorify Him and be entrusted with a measure of authority, if you will. I may need some help from the, my clicker's dead, that's why. There you go, I'll give you cues, I'll go like that or something, okay, thank you. So Jesus says to us all, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. As students, as staff, as Christians, wherever we find ourselves, a lot of times we can be influenced by our environment, but it takes a special kind of person that in the face of an influential environment to be the one who influences it. There was uh, one time years ago, when I, before I was in ministry, that I was uh, gone to a leadership sort of retreat thing. And we were at the University of Tennessee. It was one of my favorite places on earth. I know y'all like Kentucky, whatever. So, but, I, but I was at the University of Tennessee, and this was, was, was when the great women's basketball coach was there. And so we got to see her, and Candace Parker at the time was there. Candace Parker was the one who was dunking it in their college games. And so you get to observe Candace Parker, and you know she was like looked to as the leader. And she said something. I've, I've never forgotten this, but they were practicing running drills, and she would say uh, to some when they had a poor attitude, she'd say, no anchors. We don't need any anchors. And I'm like, why is she saying that? Well, later, you know, we were able to have uh, uh, an address and we were told, you know, the reason we say no anchors is because when you drop an anchor, you're not going anywhere. And your attitude can be a lot like an anchor. When you drop it, you don't get anywhere. So no anchors. And it had a lot to do with mindset. And I think as Christians, we ought to have the mindset that, you know, this place isn't going to change me. If anything, I want to try... And change it for the better or some of the people that I meet every person that you and I meet they're an opportunity just as we may be an opportunity for them so Daniel aim to serve and this year I want you to aim to serve as well to conscientiously remember that though you may be in a place that isn't a church you are still a Christian and you can glorify God and we'll do that by looking at just a few of the things that Daniel did the first thing that he did Sorry, I was clicking and it wasn't moving. Uh, First thing that he did is he purposed to do good. That's how he aimed to serve. He purposed to do good. Chapter one, verse eight, Daniel purposed in his heart that he wouldn't defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now, some of us, we we tend to categorize things as extremely important, eh, not that important, not important at all, things like that. But one of the marks of the identity of a Jewish person was their diet, among other things. And there were certain things that they could not eat, nor would they eat. And the meat and the wine that was provided for them had likely been sacrificed to one of the Babylonian or the Chaldean gods. And so to eat of that sacrifice would have been to participate in that God's worship. So that may have been why Daniel didn't want to partake, and he didn't want to defile himself. So he purposed in his heart that he would not do this. But I want you to notice how he actually handles this. Therefore, he requested. You know, be firm in your beliefs, but you don't have to be a jerk about it. The greatest contradiction is when a Christian is a jerk about being a Christian. And people take notice of that. Daniel doesn't demand it, he just, he requests it. I'd like to request that I not defile myself. It's written in the book of Jude that we earnestly contend for the faith. It's not written that we be contentious about the faith. Huge difference. Huge difference. An elderly lady was once asked by a young man who had grown very weary in the fight whether he ought to give up the struggle. He said, I'm, I'm beaten every time. I feel like I have to give up. And she replied saying, did you ever notice that when the Lord told to discourage fishermen to cast their nets again, that was right at the same spot where they had been fishing all night and caught nothing? You ever feel like you're spinning your wheels as a Christian? You're like, man, I try to live right. I try to do good. I try to live to serve the Lord. And it just doesn't seem like it's doing a lot of good. I think that's a very important lesson to remember though. Those fishermen had fished all night. And then Jesus shows up and he says, cast your nets. Now these are professional fishermen. This is what they do for a living. They've been casting their nets in the same spot all night, caught nothing. But Jesus comes up and he says, cast your nets. They could have said, well, it won't do any good. We've been doing this all night, haven't caught a thing yet. We're tired, we're wore out. We're ready to just to hang it up and eat something, catch us a nap. But they don't do that. They cast their nets and then they have plenty so sometimes the good that we seem to want to do seems fleeting. It seems like we're getting nowhere, but that doesn't mean we stop. We keep on keeping on because Jesus is Lord at the end of the day. You know, when Christians really get down about things and they're like, well, this is bad, that's bad, all this is going on, I just, you know, the, the, the negative, and I can see things can be pretty discouraging at times. But there's something I always like to remind myself of when I get in those moods, and that is Jesus is still reigning. I don't have to worry about all these things. You know why? Because he overcame. You've probably heard the saying where uh, Edmund Burke, I believe it was, he said, all it takes for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. My reply is evil doesn't triumph because Christ rose from the grave. I don't have to worry about it. Jesus has already dealt with it. He has been given all authority on heaven and on earth. So if I seem like I'm spinning my wheels, I'm going to keep spinning my wheels. Because Christ has conquered. He has rose. He is reigning at the right hand of God. Daniel purposed to do good. And secondly, he aimed to serve by persisting in doing good. It's one thing to say I want to be faithful. It's another thing to actually be it. So Daniel goes on in verses 12 and 15. He says, test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And at the end of 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in flesh than all the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. So not only did he want to do good, but he kept on doing good. He, you know, he could have said... Ah, I really don't want to defile myself, and, and then Ashpenaz could have said, okay. And Daniel could have come back later and he said, you know what, I've, I've changed my mind. I really don't want to upset the king. I really don't want to offend. He doesn't do that. Ashpenaz meets the request, and Daniel keeps on being faithful. And at the end of it, it turns out well. There's a proverb that I love very much. Maybe you want to write this down. Proverbs 16, verse 7. Here's what it says. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. I like that. And the reason I like that is because Daniel was in a hostile environment. This was not very conducive to being faithful to God. As a matter of fact, it would have been easier to not be faithful to God. Because as you read the whole story of Daniel he and his companions' fidelity to the Lord drew attention that they really didn't want. I mean, that's how we got the infamous stories of the fiery furnace and the lion's den. It's because they were faithful to God and the punishment for being faithful to God was a fiery furnace and the lion's den. But yet God was faithful and saw them through even those trials. Senator Mark Hatfield years ago went to visit the the lady everybody called Mother Teresa of Calcutta. Uh, And he went to what was called the House of the Dying. And this was a place where children were cared for in their last days. And there was also a dispensary where the poor received medical attention. And Senator Hatfield was really overwhelmed by the sight and the magnitude of the suffering that he saw. And so he asked... This nun, he said, how can you bear the load without being crushed by it? She replied by saying, my dear senator, I'm not called to be successful. I'm called to be faithful. Hmm. That's what we're to do, to be faithful. But we've grown up in a society and an environment where you have to judge your efforts by a measure of success. If you accomplish this, 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 here's, here's the marks of success. And if we don't see that in our Christian walks of life, we think, well, was not doing anything. We are called to be faithful. And we have to disabuse ourselves of the world's definition of success. It's not about success, health, wealth, and prosperity. It's about fidelity to God. And sometimes when we realize that we are serving a purpose far greater than ourselves, we're glorifying the Lord. So first, Daniel purposed to do good. Secondly, he persisted in doing good. And third, he proved himself to be a doer of good. Go ahead one for me, would you please? Daniel chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. The king interviewed them, and among them all none were found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Excuse me. Therefore they served before the king, and in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Because God was with them, they were able to be in a position and to do good. And I want you to notice, they are in what we would call a secular government. You know who else was in a secular government? Moses. You know who else? Joseph. Uh, Nehemiah, the cupbearer of the king. There wasn't ever a contradiction in them serving in roles of foreign powers. But wherever they found themselves, they were to be faithful to the Lord. And so what we need to be reminded, go ahead to the last slide for me, please. What we need to be reminded is why we are Christians. And Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10 reminds us, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we, Christians, are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I love this word uh, translated workmanship. In Greek, it's the word poema. We get our English term poem from it. Uh, But it didn't mean, like our idea of a poem versus their idea of a poem, something totally different you know we think of a poem we think roses are red violets are blue and I forget how the rest of that stuff goes but uh, poema in Greek meant finished product masterpiece or workmanship so because by the grace of God we've been saved through faith not works of the law of Moses we are his masterpiece his workmanship and our purpose is to go about doing good as parents Stephanie and I have tried to instill in our children compassion and kindness. I'm sure many of you have as well. There have been, uh, I remember years ago at lunchtime at a previous ministry, uh, you know, the kids would get extras. And at the end of the month or something, we'd get like a bill for what those extras were. And so we're like, okay, you know, don't go wild with it. You know, you're fed at home. Don't go wild with the extras. Well, they, one month a bill came and we were like, what are you eating? You know, there is no way that you're eating this. Are you stuffing it somewhere? Are you hiding it? What's the deal? And we were told by our sweet daughter, she said, she said, mom and dad, she said, there's a student who, who doesn't get to eat, but when they come to school and so I get my extras and I give them to them so they'll have something to take home. I said, you keep on. We'll pay the bill and we won't say a word about it. We didn't tell her to do that. She just, she saw someone else who wasn't as fortunate as she was and she took the initiative. She about got chewed out for it, but once she explained herself, was like, you're doing a good thing. You're doing a good thing. We've also encouraged them to befriend the kids that nobody else wants anything to do with. Sometimes we have learned the hard way why nobody wanted anything to do with them. But sometimes it's been because they just weren't popular, or maybe they were introverted or shy, or whatever the case may be. And we've always told our kids if you see somebody picking on somebody else, you feel free to intervene. We don't deal with bullies. And bullies always find those who are unable to take up for themselves. So if you see a bully bullying someone, you step in and you stop it. There are some things that we just expect our children to know. One of the things I've learned, though, is it's good to state it and not just assume it. Our children don't like us for this because we will often state or ask things that are pretty obvious. And they go, yes, mom, yes, dad. And so usually we'll preface it by saying, now I just need to say this to go on the record. For example, when Bree and John were shipping out at the beginning of the year uh, to their deployment, I had a conversation with Brie and with John. I said, Bree, don't you go out of this country and get married. She said, dad, ew. I said, I like your response. And then the night before we took them to the armory for them to deploy, as John Wayne was walking out the door, I said, John, don't you go out of this country and ask my daughter to marry you. Everybody nervously laughed, and I'm like, I'm not laughing. I meant it. But sometimes you need to state even the obvious. not only does it need to be said but it needs to be lived by mom and dad they will take from us the example of our character and they will apply it to how they live their lives and how they interact with others good, bad or indifferent they'll learn it from mom and dad and we can be self-absorbed people sometimes. So it's important for our children to see how we care for others, as well as how to be faithful to the Lord. And one of the good works that we can all do is talk to people about the Lord. It doesn't have to be some in-depth conversation. It can simply be, hey, do you go to church somewhere? Would you like to come visit with us? You know, or you see someone who's having a bad day. What's wrong? Oh, this, that, and the other. Can I pray with you? That's a good work. Living as a follower of Jesus is important. Telling people about Jesus is important. Christ came to earth to show the love of God to the world. And he suffered and died for a great reason. And that great reason is to give us eternal life through his son. So, okay, I've got to confess. I'm going to confess to you and then I'm going to offer invitation. I'm probably going to slip out so nobody gets mad about it. Here's my confession. Gary always tells me preachers aren't supposed to have favorites or show partiality. Does that sound about right? Yeah. Gary abides by that. I'm not good at it. I have some favorites. That doesn't mean I don't like the rest of you. I love you all. I'd do anything for you. Give me a call. I'll do what I can. But there are some that are just you. You just get to know a little better, and they become a little more special to you. And since 2018, I've not had a grandmother. And since the beginning of this year, I've not had a grandparent. And so some of our members are, whether they know it or not, they're surrogate grandparents to me. And one of those surrogate grandmothers, Thursday morning, went to be with the Lord. Now, if she were here, she would probably get on to me for talking about her from the pulpit, but she's with the Lord in heaven, so I, don't, I have nothing to fear. But L. Carraway, many of you probably didn't know her because she was at home taking care of her daughter. But she would always tell me, the first time I met her, it, it was a ladies' day, and we were here to greet and to help, and she came walking in, she's not, she wasn't but like this tall, right, she's, she's a little lady, she came in and she just said, you keep on giving it to them, I need it, they need it, we all need it, I love your preaching, and I thought, thank you. She showed me when I went to her house for the first time, this little nook where her radio was, and she says, I sit right there every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and listen to you and the church and then i got permission to deer hunt on her farm something i didn't like about her though i loved her was that she was an alabama fan we can't all be perfect can we but me being a tennessee fan her being an alabama fan well she had more bragging rights than i did when it came to football but we would talk about that and uh I got there one day and, you know, it was, I forget, it was a Saturday. Stephanie and I went out. She opened the door. She said, come on in. She said, now, Stephen, you can talk to me for the next 15 minutes, but in about 15 minutes that Alabama game's coming on and you're welcome to stay, but don't expect me to be paying attention to you. I said, okay. So, and we stayed and watched a little bit of the Alabama game. It didn't go too well. And I said, I'm going to leave so that you can get mad because she was really trying not to get mad about that game in front of me. And I loved how when, when she told me uh, what she, the diagnosis she received, it was so funny. She, uh, I went over to her house. I knew she'd not been feeling that great. And she, she said, Stephen, you know how I sound drunk when I talk? <laughs> because she had a little, she had a little, you know, and it was because ALS had affected her throat. And she wasn't able to speak as clearly, but I love the way she put it. You know how I sound drunk when I talk? (laughs) I was like, okay, where's this going? That's when she told us, told me that she had ALS and she lived two years about and uh, she went Thursday to be with the Lord. I thank God that the period at the end of her story wasn't and she died. We through Christ have hope, and others have lost loved ones recently too, but because of Christ we have hope. We can now say, she's healed, she's better, she's in a much better place than we are. And I hope it makes us want to go. Go be with the Lord. And I think about, you know, how in these last months she couldn't talk at all. She probably had an awful lot to say when she got to heaven. That's a lovely thought to think. But she, like all of us who are Christians, have trusted Jesus Christ, have confessed Him as our Lord, and have been buried with Him in baptism, and we have lived our lives as best we could in faithfulness to Him. Not earning anything, but just being grateful for what God has done. I hope you're saved. You've been forgiven of your sins. I hope that you have confessed Jesus as Lord and put Him on in baptism. And if you haven't, I hope that you will. If we can study more with you, if you have any questions that we could provide answers to, we'll do our level best. But if you take nothing else away from this, know that God loves you, He cares about you, and He sent His Son to die for you. And if we can be an assistance with any spiritual need that you have. Just come to the front now as we stand and sing.